if you're going to come in here and ask what you need to do, then I've hired the wrong person. Mm-hmm. You know, make yourself invaluable, be a sponge, and make our program better. That's what you need to do. And whatever that means, do it. And uh, ask for help when you need help, but find something to do to make us better. That was Darren Boatwright, the current athletic director at Wichita State. You're going to hear what Darren realized about his dad when he started coaching his own son. Darren tells us how Mark Goffrey challenged him to prove his value to the basketball program at Murray State University and then moved on to the Wild West atmosphere of the Southeastern Conference and the University of Alabama. There's some things you do for a paycheck. And Darren will tell you there's others you do for the love of a sport as he reveals a personal project and discovery that he made that spans generations of legendary national championship coaches. Welcome, Darren Boatwright, to the Dax My Hand Legend Podcast. Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary status. Really, you do have a lot of useless knowledge up there in the head of yours. Darren, tell us about the influence your dad had on you. Still to this day, the most successful coach that I've played under record-wise is my dad. And uh, he was my first coach, starting in farm league up on the hill there between the little league field and the horse barns at H&H Lovett Park. You know, dad was my coach, uh, my 7-year-old, 8-year-old, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. And uh, at 13 was that period where I probably didn't – have an appreciation for what he was saying anymore and thought I had it all figured out. And so he, that's when he started letting others coach me. But, uh, uh, oh, we, we had great runs in uh, Little League Baseball, uh, 9 and 10-year-old yeah, baseball. And uh, it seemed that every year uh, the, the association would find a different way to pick because for some reason we had an advantage. And uh, which wasn't true, but uh, Dad had an act of taking kids and, and taking them from the ability they had when he got them, and was able to communicate with them to a point where they would play just a little bit better than their abilities were. And because of that, you know, we could take someone that we got late in the draft and get a little more out of them because uh, he and his assistant coach, whoever it would be that particular year, would would spend a little more time with those guys. Uh, than he would with some of the ones that were more advanced and, and realize that not only is this young man going to get better as a result of this attention, it's going to make our team better. And uh, it seems like invariably late in the year, one of those kids that they'd spent extra time with would come up in a situation that would change the game to get, our benefit. Get a big hit, make yeah. a play. Yeah, something that they didn't have the confidence to do uh, a few weeks earlier. But, uh, you know, looking back, and I, I coach my son's team for the baseball team for the first time a year ago. And after the first practice, I called my dad. And I said, thank you, I had no idea. That's right. I had absolutely no idea how it was to to get there and realize parents didn't want to volunteer and they didn't want to help. And the entire practice was on you. And uh, you had to figure out how to get everybody involved. And 
and try to improve them in an hour's time sometimes. And uh, But I called him literally after the first night and said, hey, thanks. I had no idea. Yeah, it is amazing when you uh, when you you think as a uh, – at least I ran into this. I thought as a as a ball player that I knew. I knew how to play baseball. And, and so obviously that would transfer or roll over into coaching. And you find out later it's not near as easy as you thought it was. You may have the knowledge, but it's the ability to transfer that knowledge to the kids and get them – to play is like you're trying to get them to play. That's and that's a big hurdle to leap over. Yeah, it really is. The DaxMyHand.com Legend Podcast is made possible through the generous support of its corporate sponsor, SJS Cat Incorporated, serving the Western Kentucky and Southern Illinois area for 25 years. Now offers enhanced field verification using drones. SJS Cat is FAA certified. SJSCAD.com. You know, you had a, high, a successful high school career, and then it's time to go to college, right? Tell us about your college experience and, and maybe how it led you uh, into uh, into working with the Murray State basketball team. Well, I didn't, know what I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, even upon graduation from high school. And I knew I wanted to go to college, didn't know where. Um, I'd actually made a commitment to go to Dyersburg State down in Dyersburg, Tennessee, and play baseball and basketball down there. and That just never felt right. I think I said yes because they offered. I, I at that point, signed up for what would become the most fun I've ever had in a summer on a baseball team. And uh, I was working as a summer custodian at the high school of, of a morning and afternoon. Then I'd hop in the car and drive to Brook Stadium every night, seemed like, and that's that's – that's the most fun I ever had in a summer on any type of team uh, because of the guys. And I walked into a loaded team, and that's probably why it was so fun. We went 65-10 and 10 that year and uh, lost. Well, uh, I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't going to be the centerpiece of this pitching staff. I started a shoeshine business out of the, out of the dugout, so – uh, I'd shine shoes for a dollar and a half a pair during the game, and uh, Doc was my best customer. You know, you, 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 this goes back forever. Um, I became the guy that'd go get Doc's hot dog, mm-hmm. and uh, you'd go to the window there and you say, "Hey, I need a hot dog, a hot dog for Doc." Well, it was a hot dog, but it had some kind of special relish on it, and. After about the second night and getting to know Doc a little better, I decided, hey, Doc needs two hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. And so, anyway, I just run up this charge on Doc's bill. And, uh, oh, man, I'd, I'd sit down there in the bullpen and eat hot dogs. And and, uh, and the game was at hand. And I did pitch in some games that were yeah. meaningful. But most of the time when the game was in hand, he'd let me come in and close it. Yeah. And uh, so I had some fun with that. And that was during the time of – the movie major league and i kind of had the party in the back mullet going and and uh so i'd come in and looking wild and kind of talk about the legion real quick that was that was one you know and doc was on our podcast and and that was the one thing that i can remember and i played three years legion i think brandon played four years 
uh, was just the fun that we had. I mean, we won games and we were always really good, but man, you know, Doc really inspired us and, and made it a fun environment, you know, to play baseball. And I think that's part of the reason that we were so successful. I mean, besides the fact that we had a lot of talent, uh, but you know, a lot of Legion teams had talent, but we had fun yeah. with our talents. And then had an opportunity uh, through Mr. Kenneth Shadowin to, uh, he asked if I had any interest in coaching. Uh, basketball at, at Benton Middle, which is where I, where I grew up going to school. And I did, and uh, I was going to get an $1,800. I was going to get an $1,800 supplement. So not only was I going to coach, I was going to be well compensated for my time. Yeah. And so uh, I came back, moved back in with my parents, transferred to PCC, and uh, – it was the last year they were going to have a baseball program. So, uh, play for Coach Tippin. I played for Rick Tippin, and uh, and I told him I said, Coach, I'd love to play baseball. I've made a commitment to coach this middle school basketball team. We're going to have to figure out the winter because I'm not going to be able to come to conditioning and things like that because of my other commitment. But if you'll trust that I'll do my part, then I'll want to play. And uh, so we agreed, and it was going to be the last year of the. Uh, of the program there at PCC, and uh, we end up winning the Kentucky Junior College State Championship and going to the regionals and closing it out and had fun and, you know, ended up teaming back up with uh, Chris Jones from Legion Days and, and uh, had a good time there too. But that, that led me into coaching and led to the opportunity that I had uh, that I would get a year later in the summer of 95 uh, to go to work with Mark Gottfried. Uh, on staff at Murray State, who had just accepted the job uh, in April of '95, and we met in June and ended up working for him for ten years. So, what? Uh, talk about that meeting. How did that happen? Uh, talk about the mechanics of how you got to meet Coach Godfrey and just how it happened. Well, there's two stories of that. There's the truth, and then there's um, you know, then there's the one he likes to tell. <laughs> um, uh, the one he likes to tell is he comes into town from Los Angeles and uh, has a middle school team camp and uh, notices this young guy and has a has a good little team and uh, plays with discipline and, and plays defense and try, kind of plays basketball the right way. And uh, I was very positive with the group, and uh, we had a lot of fun playing and, and, and played pretty well. And, uh, and so he wanted someone like that. And he sought out and figured out that I was uh, was going to be a first time student at Murray State, and he wanted someone from the region to be from the area to be around his program and maybe introduce him to some people associated with basketball. Uh, so that's his story. the The truth of it is, uh, as a middle school coach, I had a key to the gym, and uh, through my relationship with Bobby Langey back in. When, when we were playing together, I had gotten to know Dan pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so I, on the side, on occasion, was working out Dan in my middle school gym, in the Benton Middle School gym, so none of the college coaches and recruiters could find where Dan was working out. We didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So, But uh, Mark Gottfried had figured that out in the first few weeks he was here. And so the real story is he thought he would have a better advantage of recruiting Dan Lange to Murray State uh, with an inside inside track. Now, I didn't deter him from that uh, until later on. We got the scholarship stuff all worked out, and uh, 
I can remember the day you tell him, you know, Coach, this we're not going to be able to get Dan Lange here. It's just yeah. it's not going to happen. But, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, it was that's part of the recruiting process. You try to get every advantage you can. And, yeah. you know, he sought me out and, and wanted help. Uh, in recruiting Dan, but yeah. uh, we end up really enjoying working with each other. And uh, like I said, we worked together 10 years after that. But Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend podcast. Share it with your friends. Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend podcast. Financially supporting the podcast. DaxMyHand.com website. Click on the support button. Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend podcast. What were the roles? Everything. I can remember going into Mark's office the first week I was there saying, hey, Coach, what do you need me to do today? And uh, he just said, you know, if, if you're going to come in here and ask what you need to do, then I've hired the wrong person. Mm-hmm. You know, make yourself invaluable, be a sponge, and make our program better. That's what you need to do. And whatever that means, uh, do it. And uh, ask for help when you need help, but find something to do to make us better. And uh, so that was the premise that I worked on from that point forward with him and just tried to get into a role that uh, where, where, where you make yourself invaluable to the organization and you try to bring positive change and positive energy every day. And, and that's what it did, and it worked out. So, so then uh, he gets the opportunity to go back to his alma mater down to Alabama, and you went with him, right? I did. So I would I would interject that obviously you had made yourself invaluable, right? The fact that he wanted to take you with him. I think so, and uh, he would never commit to me. He kept saying, yeah, we'll work something out. Yeah, we'll work something out. And uh, so finally uh, I knew when the moving truck was coming to his house, and he was already down in Tuscaloosa. So I took all my belongings, which were a bed, a television, a recliner, and a dresser, and put them in his garage. And so when the movers came, they packed it up and put it on the moving truck with him. And I called him. I said, hey, I'll be there tomorrow. And he said, well, uh, I hadn't figured out exactly what I'm going to have you do yet. And I said, well, it's too late now because I put all my all my furniture on your moving truck. So I'll see you tomorrow. And uh Drove down there, and I knew something was going to work out. just didn't know what it was going to be. But I ended up moving into Coleman Coliseum, which is the basketball arena there at, yeah. at the University of Alabama. And uh, they and it's still there today. Yeah. Uh, when you walk in the, the, the lower-level basement, uh, when you come down the ramp, first door on the right is a little bitty apartment. And you call it an apartment is a stretch. It's, mm-hmm. a, uh, it's a place for a bed, and it has its own little shower and – uh, toilet and sink and a little bitty closet and uh, so I lived in there for the first few months Man. Uh, that I was at Alabama and uh, I remember the f- the first check that I got from the University of Alabama was three hundred and fifty four dollars a month Man. and I was excited I'd found a place that I could get uh, uh, that I could rent for three hundred mm-hmm. and uh so I, I was so excited about it at that point, I decided to, to come back home and get married. Yeah. And uh, so it worked out. Now, uh, I don't know how the math worked, yeah. but uh, but it seemed to work out. But uh, uh, the next year I went on full-time and became a director of basketball operations and uh, fulfilled those roles and duties for uh, the next six, seven years, whatever that would have been. And 
and then decided after the 05 season to get out and, go, and try to start a career in administration. So, you know, uh, take, let me share a quick um, legend story at Alabama. The baseball field is right across from Coliseum, correct? Yep. Uh, right field, or I'm sorry, left field there are a bunch of pine trees that I recall. Probably was at that time, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I had a baseball that I had thrown to the plate that ended up hitting in those pine trees. Yeah, so that happens that, on occasion. Yeah, that was, uh, that was one of my memories at Alabama. So uh, any any memories stick out to you about your time at Alabama or maybe maybe the influence Coach Godfrey had on you to get into uh, administration and so forth? Anything jump out? Well, it was – Alabama at the time as a basketball program was really underperforming. And uh, to go from Murray State to Alabama and inherit a much lesser roster of talent than you left was eye-opening. Knowing that you were going into battle every night at that time with what have now become legends of the game, you know, with um, Nolan and Tubby and – uh, Brady at LSU and, and Billy Donovan at Florida and um, you know some guys that were great coaches that maybe aren't as well known but Rod Barnes at Ole Miss and Rick Stansberry who's now at Western Kentucky but it, it was the Wild West down there in the late 90s and I remember uh, Cliff Ellis making a call to Coach Godfrey right after he got the job and, and uh I can recount the call. I won't say anything to uh, elicit any guilt on anyone, but the conversation was uh, Coach Ellis called me and said, Now, Mark, congratulations on getting the job. I want to let you know we do things a little different down here. And so if you ever have a problem with what we're doing down here at Auburn, or if I ever have a problem with what you're doing up there at Alabama, how about we just call each other first and see if we can work it out? And uh, so that was the uh, that was the mentality there. Let's leave the administration out of it. Let's leave the NCAA out of it. And if we have any issues, let's start dealing with it one on one first. And, wow! And uh, there's enough players down here for us all to be fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's just make sure we communicate through all yeah. any issues we have. Mm-hmm. And at that time, when we walked in in 1998, Auburn was number one right. in America. Yeah. Uh, had the uh, what was the guard they had the short or he, he didn't I don't know if he played guard but he could jump out of the gym. Do you remember the name? But a guy named Chris Porter. Yes, that's him. Uh, and that was his two years. Yeah. Um, and matter of fact, we we beat Auburn uh, one night at home, and the next day is when Chris became permanently suspended from yeah. Auburn, and so we were glad to be able to. That was kind of a turning point of our program because yeah. we had fought so hard in that first year. Uh, even with our under-talented team, we beat Kentucky at home that year, who was I remember that. number five uh, nationally. Uh, and uh, it was one of those weird – they played a Thursday-Saturday swing on the road. I, I can't imagine doing that now. But Kentucky played at Florida on a Thursday night. Then they played at Alabama on Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two road games in a row. And uh, they lost at Florida. And I can remember us thinking on Friday, just thinking, oh, boy, we're leading the lambs to slaughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to beat them on a dunk uh, with no time left on the clock. But uh, that was a big step for our program. And then fast forward another year when we were able to beat Auburn at home and they were in the top five. Um, 
that was we knew we had something going at that point. So we were able to flip that program uh, and win the Southeastern Conference Championship, regular season championship in 2002. Uh, and that was the first one they had won since 1987. Yeah. And – now going into 2016-17, it's the last one they've won. Yeah. So it's the only SEC championship in 30 years mm-hmm. um, that Alabama's won, and we're awfully proud about that. Well, uh, while we're talking about Alabama and your time there, I want to share my contribution to your basketball program. I don't know if you'll even remember this, but uh, I was working in Tupelo, Mississippi. I get a phone call from Darren Boatwright. Man, hadn't heard from you in forever, you know. I'm working, you're down there. And you said, uh, what's that town you live in there? And I said, well, I'm in Tupelo. And you said, okay, we are fixing to play Alabama A&M, I believe, was who it was. And uh, he said, you said, they're playing Mississippi State, and it's hard to get tape on them because they're never on television. So he said, uh, you said, apparently they're going to show it on the cable network in Tupelo. Do you have, I think it was Comcast. Do you have Comcast in Tupelo? I said, yeah, sure do. And so you said, would you mind taping that game for me? And so, man, I really felt like I was in the college basketball world at that point. So I, I think I taped the game. And so uh, anyway, then um, got ready to send it to you. And you said, hey, real quick, uh, Valparaiso was fixing to play Mississippi State. I guess it's early in the season. And you said, uh, could you send that to uh, one of the Drews, I guess, at Valparaiso, and then he'll send it to me after, we're, after they're done with it because we play them a little later. And, uh, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing, that I, I was helping a, a Division One, you know, SEC school. But I had to tell you, I caught some uh, – uh, I caught some – I don't know what the not feedback, but I, I caught some uh, ire from Mississippi State fans because I, I worked with a lot of Mississippi <laughs> State people. And so I told uh, this guy who worked for me, I said, yeah. I said, I'm having to send this up to Valparaiso because they're fixing to play state, you know, so they can scout them. Well, you're not going to do it, are you? I said, well, of course I'm going to do it. I said, this is my friend from back home is asking me to do it. Sure I am, you know. So I, I really uh, I really felt a part of the program at that time. And I, it's kind of a funny – I don't even know if you remember that. Oh, absolutely. I remember uh, – I can remember I missed a game that Kentucky had played. Something happened with one of my VCRs and uh, didn't get the Kentucky game that particular night. And I can remember calling Marshall County High School – and being transferred into John Leaper's English class. And I said, John, I, I got a question for you. He said, what's that? I said, somebody in your class, their dad recorded that game last night. I don't know who it is. I'm just telling you. Somebody had to work. Yeah. And so, sure enough, he said, did anybody's parents record the Kentucky game last night? Sure enough, there's some gal in the third row. Yeah, they recorded it. And so, similar thing, yeah. we ended up sending a FedEx packet to the high school and getting a copy of that game. And You know, you had to rely on any connection you had. I can yeah. remember missing Thanksgiving meal, Thanksgiving Day one time to fly to uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and sit in a hotel room and record Utah playing Utah State. I couldn't go to the game. Wasn't allowed to in-person scout. Yeah. Uh, so, I flew to Salt Lake City and took my VCR and recorded it and got back on the plane the next day and... Wow. Flew back home. And it's just what you did. I mean, you, you know, you wanted to leave whatever role you had, leave no stone unturned to try to do the best you can for the organization. Yeah. Well, you know, something interesting you mentioned to me, and I throw this out because 
I think it's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Uh, you talk about the basketball that you have signed. Tell the listeners about that basketball and kind of how things started with it and how you've just been amazed how it's grown. But, but tell that story. Well, I'm not an autograph seeker uh, at all. I do have one project that uh, that is ongoing, and I have a, a, a basketball that uh, is signed by – 27 or 28 national championship basketball coaches. Um, and it started at a period of time in the SEC. I can't remember what year it was. It would have been 99 or so, maybe 2000, where we had Tubby Smith, Nolan Richardson, Jim Herrick. Um, seems like I'm leaving one out. Anyway, we had all three of those. Oh, Billy Donovan, <laughs> all four. Uh, in the conference that had won national championships. And then I had a friend at the University of Louisville, and they had just hired Rick Pitino there. Uh, so I had an easy in with him. Uh, so And also had a relationship at the time with, uh, with Coach Wooden out in Los Angeles. So I knew we could get to him. So anyway, just for the fun of it, I got those six guys to autograph the same ball. Uh, and then I got to thinking, how can I get to other coaches? that have won national championships. And just one thing led to another, and, and this ball has more frequent flyer miles on it than I can imagine. But uh, I got to the point now where I will not mail it. But uh, but now I have 27 or 28 autographs on it. Uh, the oldest is Pete Newell from 1960. Um, uh, I have uh, Don Haskins from 66, the, the, the great Texas Western team that started the all-black uh, First five, starting five, uh, and beat Kentucky. Uh, so those they're all interesting. Uh, John Thompson, Jim Beheim, Shashevsky, Roy Williams, Gary Williams, all of them, and uh, just interesting. And, and one thing I learned is, uh, and I shared this with you. One thing I learned is those guys that coached in the seventies and eighties and were the best of the best and are still considered the best of the best. No one talks to them anymore. And I, I can remember being on the phone with uh, Judd Heathcote, who now lives in Seattle. Yeah, Coach Michigan State, Magic Johnson. Yeah, 1979, the game that changed college basketball. And uh, he lives in Seattle now and is uh, has a great presence around the Gonzaga program. Um, but uh, I can remember being on the phone with him one day and explaining to him what I was doing and why I was calling. I wanted to send him this ball. Well, he just started talking and asking me questions and who all had signed it and how they were doing, and questions were on and on and on. And I realized this guy is no one to talk to. And uh, anyway, we were on the phone to the point where I was late for practice. And uh, I can remember saying to him verbatim, Coach Heathcote, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I have to go. Uh, I'm late for practice. And uh, we kind of laughed about that. If you want to hear more of Darren's story, visit our website at www.daxmyhand.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell somebody about it. Well, what need you to do is you share it on your Facebook and then get your friends to share it. Or you've been listening to Dax My Hand, the legend. Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend podcast. Share it with your friends. 
Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend podcast, financially supporting the podcast. DaxMyHand.com website. Click on the support button. Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend podcast.